This is Floss Weekly. I'm Doc Searles. This week, Jonathan Bennett and I talk again for the second time, return trip to Dave Tat, who gives us so many things to talk about and think about. The future, space, buffer bloat, latency, um, new protocols for space and, and long latencies that you can't avoid because the speed of light isn't fast enough. Is all kinds of stuff in the show. It's one of the most entertaining shows I think we've ever had. And that is coming up next. Podcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. This is Floss Weekly, episode 694, recorded Wednesday, August 17th, 2022. Icky Latency and the Dawn of IQI. This episode of Floss Weekly is brought to you by IT Pro TV. Are you looking to break into the world of IT? Get the introduction you need with IT Pro TV. Visit itpro.tv slash twit for an additional 30% off all consumer subscriptions for the lifetime of your active subscription when you use code TWIT30 at checkout. And by IRL, an original podcast from Mozilla. IRL is a show for people who build AI and people who develop tech policies. Hosted by Bridget Todd, this season of IRL looks at AI in real life. Search for IRL in your podcast player. Hello again, I'm Doc Searles. Good whatever time or day it is, wherever you are in the world. This is Floss Weekly, and I am joined this week by Jonathan Bennett himself, who should appear for those of you not visually impaired. There he is. Hey, Doc. In his, hey, hey, uh, how you doing? In his lair, still in Oklahoma. And, yeah, uh, you don't especially we, we were talking just before the show. I've got I've got two little kids and uh, <laughs> makes traveling kind of a challenge. I pretty much just stay here until they get a little bigger. <laughs> <laughs> but it's okay. I like it. Yeah. And then, and then if you get to be like mine, you just send them off. <laughs> One of these days. Like, like like bear cubs, you know, you seem to be done. You could feed yourself, go, <laughs> go somewhere else. <laughs> Love you very much. Right home. Um, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Since my kids are long grown and gone and reproducing themselves, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm in Santa Barbara now. This is my actual office. Um, which I visit every once in a while. I'm not in Indiana. I'm not in New York. I'm not on the road. I'm actually home with, with a bunch of things behind me that I don't use, but make good props <laughs> anyway. Uh, so um, our, our guest today is, uh, is Dave Tatt, who is one of the reasons that your internet runs faster. <laughs> uh, and, and not just faster, but in better ways, because speed is not the only, uh, only point of it. You there, Dave? He's on a boat, which is cool. And you're so glad yeah. to be back, Doc. Yeah. For, so back. For, yeah, it is great to be back. Dave's, Dave's now a veteran of the show, having been on twice as many times as he was before. So, so <laughs> Dave, t- tell us, um, tell us what why speed is a head trip. Everybody's advertising speed. You know, I've got I've got a gigabyte down here, but up is still only like thirty. But that's not the whole yeah. thing. Yeah. So. Um, Let's start there. I, I've been doing that that riff now for a long time. Bandwidth is not speed. Sending a 747 full of tapes is sometimes faster than actually dribbling it out. So it's latency. It's latency. It's the latency, stupid. There's a wonderful paper on it. How fast you individually... Ah, start ranting again. Steady packets over milliseconds. Each individual frame takes 16 milliseconds to transmit for video conferencing. In order to have a good interactive experience, that's what you need. You don't need megabits per second. You need kilobits per millisecond. So I've been trying to shift the conversation now for last 12 years to say, can we please get steady, low latency packets per millisecond and all these other wonderful applications that we do, gaming and video conferencing, uh, will begin to work a lot better if we just focus on that. So how I know from talking to some of your cohort and some conversations we've had together that not everybody calls it the same thing. Some yeah. talk about round trip, some talk latency, talk, some talk something else. We talked buffer bloat last time. I know you're tired of the topic at this point, but it's still new to most people. 
Um, is there hope of having a lexicon that everybody agrees to, or is, is speed too much of a, oh, I know what that is? Well, getting something, everyone to agree to something is, uh, you know, Doc, what would, let me, let me try a couple new words out on you. Um, uh, most recently, at both Apple and speedtest.net started calling, uh, reaching for responsiveness. Does responsiveness mean something to you more than speed? Does that work on you? Um, and how responsive? It it, it it does it does biologically, um, <laughs> but I'm not sure. I'm not yeah. sure it means Are something. There? Are you there? Yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, you'll see. Uh, one of the things I'm really happy that's happened in the last year is uh, speedtest.net has come out with a new test which incorporates a responsiveness metric. Uh, and if you run that test, now I can do this on the show. I can do myself in if you like with this. But if you run a speed test now. Um, it'll come up with metrics for download and upload that show you. Yeah, go ahead, do yourself in. So you do yourself in, not me. Um, while I'm talking, and it measures the responsiveness while you're using the network, and that's the important one. Not how fast you can ping when you're not using the network, but when you're actually using the network, how fast can you steer? So it goes back to this new phrase that uh, we're trying to standardize on is responsiveness. I'm going to keep talking while that's happening. Um, the, the funny thing is, is that Apple's approach to doing it, they developed a new test called network quality. It's embedded in all the iOS and OSX things. And what they do is that they've created an interpretation of round trip time called rounds per minute. So how fast can you move back and forth in a minute is a good measure. Everyone knows that 3,000 RPM is faster than, 6, 000, than, than 300 RPM, and 10,000 RPM is really good. The hilarious thing is B-Test had roughly the same idea, but they actually just return, are reporting round trip time. So bigger numbers on this particular test are worse for speed test and Apple's test, bigger numbers are better. Uh, so just trying to communicate in some term that people understand like decibels. Of course, hey, let's turn this to the audio show. How many people understand that decibels are orders of magnitude? I'm just curious. I, I think the math people understand, <laughs> but, but even with decibels, I mean, I used to work in broadcasting and, um, I know what how many what a microvolt or a millivolt per meter is, and it kind of it tells me that's a signal strength. But if you tell me it's eleven dB, it tells me less actually. So yeah. you know, at least instinctively, what is that? I a millivolt I understand. A decibel applies to too many other contexts, so I'm not really sure. So there's a, Jonathan, there's something relative you, gets thrown in there. Yeah. So which would you prefer, round trips per minute as a measure of responsiveness, or a really big number for round trip time? Um, well, obviously you don't want a big number for round trip time, but I, I, I've kind of, I, I know the game already. Uh, yeah, I can, How do you I can see it the to advantage to policymaker. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's tough. It's a difficult concept to kind of get your head around when you're first, first looking at it. Um, there's the advantage to responsiveness in milliseconds. Because you can say that's how long you have to wait for that web page to even start loading and people kind of can wrap their head around that. Okay, well, maybe we need to find yet another new term, you know, <laughs> Un, you know, unhorribleness, interactiveness, <laughs> uh, the met metaverse capable. How's that metaverse capable? How about usefulness or, or you know, I mean, a, a utility, oh, or, sir, the, utility. A utility index, you know, your, 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 you know, your gigabyte, uh, your gig speed, um, Home home service is actually has a a utility index of two because it's full of latency and and yeah. other things and measured across time. The Wi-Fi has its little access point buried in the basement, so like you have like an internet quality index, like we have an air quality index. Um, yeah, that's cool. IQ IQI, that's good. Yeah, <laughs> or you just use yeah. the uh, the Google Maps. The way, you, you know, when you're navigating, you look at your map, see this road is green, this road is green, oh, this road is red, that means there's congestion there. Just map out the internet and have certain links red for congestion. Yeah. 
try try not to use the internet from your bathroom. You could map out your house that way, you know. And we actually do do that with Wi-Fi. There's some really great mapping utilities that will show you sure. where your Wi-Fi is poor. And I'm certainly one of the people that put an access point in the bathroom because, <laughs> of course, <laughs> we just quality time. <laughs> oh. Get all my tweeting what do you, done. What do you call that on the boat? What's the the uh, the head? Called the head. head. Of the head. Yeah. The head. Yes. <laughs> We're not going um, there today. Speaking, of, that's a head trip when you when you're hopefully not when you're, when you're using the faster Wi-Fi in your in your in your loo. <laughs> <laughs> so so how, how do we? Yeah, changing the conversation. I I, I like that because the the promotional conversation is all about speed. So maybe we yeah. can, you know, what's our back channel say? What do they say in IQI? I like IQI. Like, RPM is already used. They've got one thing on my car that says RPM, right? But um, Well, it's a good analogy, though. You, you, well, actually, you, you know when you have high RPM, you're going really fast, and you need to change gears. Um, so uh, yeah. you've been trying. How icky. Yeah. Less icky yeah. is good. Hey, I like icky. Hey, <laughs> yeah, thank you. That's icky. That's cool. Um, your your uh, chatter guy is very, you know, that 559 responsiveness is very poor. You know, it is possible with modern technologies to get to over 3,000. Um, and on fiber and on really high-speed links uh, wired, you can get to 10,000 plus. And that would be a metaverse-compatible level of IQI. We have a really, really long way to go um, to uh, get to where we have the responsiveness that I wanted to put into the Internet. IQI, whatever you want to call it. If we can just agree that speed is not everything, that bandwidth is not everything, just get that far, I can then safely retire. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure it'll ever be safe, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta go fishing. Pro pro <laughs> problems are self-replacing <laughs> almost entirely. Uh, it feels like that, yeah. It's all over again. <laughs> so go ahead go let's let's we can put responsiveness and buffer bullet down for a while i had a couple other cool things we could talk about though um what was your next big question for me today i actually wanted to ask you about 1986 so there there's 1986 the day the year the internet died hold on there's a song about the, that. the internet died yeah i'm actually writing about it I'm, i am finally putting <laughs> together that buffer bloat article on hackaday and uh, doing some some reading into this, and so you know, 1986, the internet, the the network link between Berkeley Labs and Berkeley U died, and uh, there's this maybe apocryphal story that apparently you had somebody had to reboot the internet by shipping data tapes through the mail, and I'm I've been trying to figure out where that comes from, and uh, I've heard you tell it. What what is I'm, up with that? What happened in '86? All right, I, that piece of folklore is my piece of. It's not fiction per se, but it was my interpretation of what happened during them from my perspective. And I also dug into it some more and I got the real story recently. So I'd like to correct what I've been saying um, for many years as a good story. Um, I personally and many other people did have to basically reboot the internet by tapes. We waited for the next release of SunOS 4.3 and change and suddenly our our links started working again. It was down for hours at a time, swapping pack you know, one packet every 10 minutes. It was awful. But anyway, recently I found Van Jacobson describing exactly what happened. And I gave you a wonderful uh, interview he had on it um, that I hope you use in your, in your thing. Um, I would love it if you could play a segment of, of what he had to say there. The thing was, um, in it, his version of the world, they, they were getting complaints from all over the world about why the internet was down. Uh, you know, people were sending in self-addressed letters and calling because nothing else was working and they didn't understand. And after several months of work, they realized how could stepping down a 10 megabit link to 56 K bits have ever worked with the design of TCP. <laughs> And they then created the four fundamental algorithms that we have in TCP today, slow start, congestion avoidance, and so forth. Um, and the beauty of it was is that once they came up with the answer, they communicated the answer over the internet to the other four at the time, makers of TCP. They all scratched their head and said, yep, that's the right thing, and shipped it. 
And then over the course of the next year, the internet got massively better. But they had to talk to, figure out the problem, collaborate over the internet, talk to the makers of TCP, and ship the solution. They came up with a solution that went out in about a month for the whole internet. Much better. So, but. Yeah, so in, in reading about this, and we're gonna we're gonna talk about buffer bloat for just a minute, and then we'll go someplace else because I think we're all sick of it, and we just want it to work. So when they fixed this, one of the things that they were trying to do is they were trying to keep the buffers on the network full of traffic that was actually going to get where it was supposed to go and do what it was supposed to do. Is that fair to say? So what was happening is there was there was so much traffic being bounced back and forth that wasn't making it to the end. It was timing out. And every time it timed out, it would send yet another attempt. And it was just it was clogging up with all these attempts that never, ever got to where they were supposed to go to. And so when they when they wrote the, you know, the responsiveness algorithms for TCP, they said, look, we, we need to keep the buffers full. But we want to make sure that those full buffers are actually going to get that traffic where they're supposed to go. Is that fair? Reasonably fair, yeah, yeah. Okay. We didn't have a lot of buffering then either. Um, four well, packets. so you're <laughs> that's, that's that's where buffer bloat comes in, right? So when you've yeah. got you know eight k or sixteen k of buffers, that's eight packets. And so when they when they wrote these algorithms, they essentially said we we expect about eight packets worth of buffering to exist in the gateway. And, you know, nowadays you can buy 32 megs or, you know, 128 megs or 512 megs or gigs even of this real fast buffer memory and put it into your your switch and your router and your gateway. And suddenly, instead of having eight packets worth of buffering, you've got 8,000 packets worth of buffering. And uh, if you're sitting at the end of that queue, you sit there for a long time. And that's that is buffer bloat. It's it's sitting at the back of a buffer queue that's way too big, and TCP wasn't ever designed to to deal with that. At that point, and moving forward, yes, is you have to communicate with a lot more than just four manufacturers in order to fix this particular problem. Yes, uh, <laughs> and we have worked really hard on on fixing this end to end. There's a protocol called BBR, uh, which does more of the right things. Um, that is increasing deployment. Um, but uh, <clears throat> the answer is even then, um, even after they p- published their wonderful paper, uh, Congestion, Avoidance, and Control, you should not be allowed to drink and drive the Internet without having read that paper. Um, <laughs> uh, once they published that, there was over a thousand, maybe 16,000 follow-ups for some of the things they didn't manage to cover. Um, mm-hmm. And in principle, among those was still the need to do some level of fair queuing and active queue management to manage any given size of buffer. You know, if you have, say you had an eight packet buffer, if you have seven packets for one flow, two packets for another flow, and one packet for uh, three flows, what's the right answer? Well, Mm -hmm. arguably you should drop packets from the fattest flow. And that's what AQM and fair queuing techniques do. And we bought all this wonderfully, wonderful, expensive memory with all these incredibly powerful CPUs and we forgot to put in those two fundamental algorithms along our many of our bottleneck links. You know, over the last decade, we've really largely succeeded in quantity billions of actually putting smarter ways of managing more memory into our, our buffer-blooded links. And it certainly is my hope that everybody will turn on algorithms such as FQ, Coddle, and Cake on those bottlenecks, and we will have better internets. But we can't solve it over a weekend. <laughs> Need your help. Go forth and turn on these things. <laughs> yeah, no, there's there's some interesting places that buffer bloat shows up. And uh, I'm wondering if maybe uh, some new challenges for this. So, I, again, yeah. I, I kind of I play some inside baseball. I'm on some of the uh, mailing lists that Dave is on talking about this. And one of the places that, that buffer bloat gets talked about a lot is the Starlink network. And I, I really have to think about this. They're, there's a, a really big challenge on how to manage networks. Uh, in fact, there's even a question of what is TCIP going to look like when you start talking about beyond planetary scale? You know, when your, when your actual speed of light round trip times go into the seconds or the minutes, uh, that kind of kind of puts you in a different ballgame, doesn't it? Absolutely. It's not so much of a, it's a, 
you know, that's a whole show on itself. Um, once you get past about two seconds, most of our concepts of how TCP and the internet should work have to get replaced with another concept called store and forward. Um, you have to find a rendezvous point, for example, in near Earth orbit, throw your data up there, have it scheduled, and then ship to the moon. And then an acknowledgement will come back from that and or, the, or Mars. Um, so there's a whole set of other protocols that are partially deployed called the bundle protocol on uh, the de de delayed tolerant networking and i would so love it that now that the space program back on the track um that we mm -hmm. actually work on implementations of hey how are we going to use this new concept of how we're going to talk to the moon how are we going to send email to our daughter on europa you know um it, you can go start working on that now um <laughs> yeah yeah, no, it's it's real interesting to think about it. I, I I I spent some time thinking about this. I'm trying to imagine like what is what is the internet itself even going to look like when you try to connect the Earth and to to be a little more speculative out in the future, the Earth and Mars, right? Like in a few more, a couple decades, that's potentially going to be a thing. And not only TCP, but HTML and a whole bunch of different protocols just aren't necessarily going to make sense for that, you know, a 10 minute delay in your link. I think it's real fascinating. Yeah. I look forward to that, to be able to watch that from my Walker uh, or my, <laughs> whatever thing. Um, there's a really foundational book for me. It came out the same year that snow crash came out. Um, it's called fire upon the deep. And I thought that that was going to be the architecture for how we would expand through the solar system. He basically designed it around the concept of net news, which hopefully some of your listeners have heard of. But it was store and forward. You sent a message. It was shared upon uh, for everybody and replicated out there for everybody. And because bandwidth was cheap, but latency was paramount, everybody got a copy of everything. And that may be how we end up uh, we may end up reverting back in time to more net news like architecture. Uh, and regardless, it's one of the best books ever written in the 90s. I wish more people would read it. <laughs> we'll have to what, put that what was in. the name of that again? That does sound real interesting. Fire Upon the Deep. You had it some had it on the screen just now. Great book. I will I will have to check that out. That does sound that does sound really great. I, I think we know why Doc disappeared there for a second. He apparently ran a speed test. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I, yeah, and the speed test. Well, uh, that's when I had a connection. I actually lost the connection for a while there. You know, J Jonathan was speaking and he froze. I don't, I don't know what yeah. happened. Um, and I have, no, I you know, it looks looks good now. I mean, my loaded upload is twenty twenty four milliseconds. So, um, okay. seems to be working. Now, <laughs> now is close enough to now for us to work. So I, I have a follow up. I'll have a follow up on that uh, after I let everybody know that this episode of Floss Weekly is brought to you by IT Pro TV. Get the best possible IT training to accelerate your IT career from IT Pro TV, whose edutainers make learning engaging and fun on your own schedule. With their virtual labs and practice tests, you'll Always be supported and prepared for your exams. You can binge episodes in 20 to 30 minute increments. They have more than 5,800 hours of IT training that's always up to date with the most current content, which is important in a fast-paced world. Learn when and where you want on a desktop, Apple TV, Roku, or hit the road with your tablet or mobile device. One reviewer says, quote, best website to study IT and cybersecurity related courses. I like the part where they make a few courses free for a weekend, unquote. They're featuring a free live webinar, All Things Cybersecurity, with Ben Fink on Thursday, August 18th at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And you can check out past webinars on demand. New IT training episodes are added daily. Today, you can step into the booming cloud world with IT Pro TV's AWS Cloud Practitioner Training. This course provides everything you need to pass your certification exam and get you on your way to a career in the cloud. You can register at go.itpro.tv slash AWS cloud dash practitioner. And don't forget about your IT team. Check out an IT Pro TV business plan for your team today. So visit itpro.tv slash twit 
for an additional 30% off all consumer subscriptions for the lifetime of your active subscription when you use code TWIT30. That's itpro.tv slash twit and use code TWIT30 for an additional 30% off the lifetime of your active subscription. IT Pro TV, build or expand your IT career and enjoy the journey. So Dave, we were on the subject. Go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) I'm hearing sound effects. Yeah. So you have to to Dave's playing his his, his guitar, (laughs) which, which, which can sound like like, during the commercials, you know, you turn the commercial off, you practice for a little while and then you go back. (laughs) Well, not all of, not all our, our, our listeners or viewers get the commercials. So that's, that also further confuses things. Um, So we were talking about the, the future when we're dealing with the latency of the speed of light, 180 6,000 miles a second um, uh, is a long time when you're dealing in, in, in space. So, um, so I'm wondering what happens to now. I mean, already, I mean, it's, it's really I mean, just interesting. And, and, and that's just interesting to me because human perception is, is act, actually lags. Everything when two people are talking to each other, there's, there's a lag time in that. There's latency in the way we, understand things we we don't have buffers in the in the in the uh in the technical sense we have short-term memory which purposely decays um within about seven seconds so all that's left is meaning right if if i say something and you understand what i said you can't repeat it verbatim but you know what i was talking about right that's how we work and i'm wondering how that changes if, if you've thought much about that i mean you sourced that book earlier um yeah but well, I've yeah a lot a lot of books over time. Um, in part, what we're living in today is an aberration from how humanity has always worked. It used to write a letter, like a stamp, and wait for days or months to get a response, never knowing if it had ever been received. People used to go on sailing trips for two years. They'd be married, and they'd come back to a nine-month-old kid. Uh, you know, they... Uh, I, I, I think that maybe our, we are living in a fast-paced environment that may well be temp, uh, certainly will be temporary and change as humanity moves into space. Uh, and it'll be just another fundamental sea, sea change in how we think and work. Um, it may be a good one. I, for me, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm back to living on my boat primarily. There's only one piece of technology on this boat, my laptop, and my Starlink terminal that is actually older than 1972. And I really love this kind of slow pace in life. You know, I read books um, and I <laughs> take notes and I play music. And these are all things that don't require that tremendous interactivity. The problem that we have, and it's also generational, is the use of language. You know, when I was a kid, I used to say, are you up for that? And kids today say, are you down for that? <laughs> now, why the hell did this change? I don't know. You know, and when I was a kid, you want to hook up? Did not mean what it means today. Um, yeah. So we have this yeah. need to have a shared language, a shared commonality that will somehow continue moving forward, even with this pace of technology that we have now. Uh, it may well be that um, I have this perpetual nightmare of waking up uh, for the white you're, you're familiar with the Y uh, 36 and Y 38 problem like the clocks roll over mm-hmm. and the civilization collapses so someone's going to pull me out with my head in the jar right they'll pull me out and they'll send emo emojis at me you know with all these little pictures uh, explain hey do we have a problem uh, tomorrow our clocks roll over and we don't have source code to any of our devices to do this and I'll sit there trying to translate these pictures going by, and that's only you know, a few years ahead from now. Um, you know, looking back, I mean, how Doc, you, how old is your your kid now? Do you communicate well? Do you still use words the same way? Oh yeah, no. Well, we well, I have we have four very verbal kids, so we all communicate really well. Um, yeah. Okay, I I have four extroverts in addition to my wife and I in the family, so so that works out. But I, you know, they range from age fifty two down to twenty six. So then, 
we have two generations of kids in the family and and the, the 20 well, 25 actually is 25 still but maybe 26 in a couple of months but he considers himself way out out, out of he's not he's he doesn't even want to be called a millennial because the next generation coming up is so radically different and he deals with them right he knows that he's an elder to those people and and he has a completely different frame of reference in in many ways the way he uses his phone the way he you know he's involved in recruitment for business and so that's that's a big part of how do you speak to people but i was thinking of um uh of of what space was i mean you're in a boat the original outer space was the horizon on the ocean right you know when when humans invented boats and they went out they went over the horizon what was out there right and we went there and we found stuff uh, it's it's it and it talk about latency you know they might not come back you know that was the you know i mean that if you i think today if we if aviation or uh mm-hmm. cruises had the mortality rate that clipper ships that tall ships had 300 years ago nobody would go on one because there's well, like a one in 20 pay for it. yeah <laughs> I mean, it, yeah. it's, 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 you know, it's pretty, it's pretty crazy. So, so, I mean, I'm, but a question I have in a way is that I sort of feel like life is quarantined here on this planet, you know, that, and I, I'm actually thinking of how um, William Shatner, you know, Captain Kirk at age 80, whatever he is now, or maybe, maybe it's 90, you know, goes up as a guest of, of uh, Jeff Bezos and comes back and says, it's death. (laughs) I looked out there and it's all blackness and void and nothingness. Oh my God. You know, and, and that's a, I, and I wonder about that because there's, um, this may be way off topic, but there's latency involved in this as well. 15% of the earth's crust is, is limestone or something like it, like dolomite. That was all living matter at one point. The summit of Mount Everest is marine limestone. Um, that used to be in what's now the Indian Ocean before, you know, it, it, it was opened up by um, something breaking off Madagascar and crashing into Asia and making the Himalayas. And and there is nothing of that on Mars. There's nothing of that on any of the other planets we know. Death has, nothing live has been there to provide us with the raw materials we need to make more life. We have to bring it with us. Um, and that seems like a very, very tall order. Um, you know, we're, we are not built for that. Our machines are, we have some machines on Mars that are doing a great job. They're our eyes and ears. You know, we're talking through a machine right now. These are our eyes and ears and we're not physically present with each other. So I'm wondering whether the fantasy of human activity in, in the extraterrestrial way is actually kind of doomed until we become another species. You thought about that? Wow. Um, (laughs) That's really, really profound. Um, I'm going to reminisce briefly. I was at the um, Spaceship One. Anybody remember Spaceship One? The space program was in disarray. The Columbia had just blown up. Nobody was flying anything. And uh, they ran an X-Prize for the first private spacecraft to to crack the Kármán line twice in three days. And... The X-Prize almost failed until Bert Rutan um, built what was called Spaceship One. And they had a bunch of test flights. Nobody cared. But then they announced they were going to try to crack the Kármán line twice in three days in September of 2004, I think it was. And they asked for a whole bunch of volunteers to come. I'm going to get this is going to be a long, longer story than I wanted it to be, but something I wanted people to remember. Um I was a space nut, just like everyone else, and I was working as a VP or something or other for somebody, I forget who, called up all my friends and said they need some volunteers to help park cars and punch tickets to watch the first spacecraft built by human hands since whatever, crack the Carmen line, who wants to go? And we got about 30 other people uh, to go down there, and also uh, a whole bunch of people from the universe, kids from the University of Illinois, commandeered a, a school bus and came down to help punch tickets and park cars. 
And there was 5,000 of us camped out in the desert on the first day, uh, all night long talking. Herbie Hancock was playing piano. It's one of the biggest, beautiful, most beautiful memories of my life. Anyway, we try to get to this point. The uh, I forget the pilot's name. They launched the first Spaceship One flight. It dropped from the plane. The engine lit and went roaring off into space. And in about T plus 75 seconds, they were displaying stuff simultaneously on a screen down for us to see. And they had a telescope on it as well. The video on the screen kept started to go out. And you could see that he was in a spin that was getting worse and worse and worse. And ultimately, the video on the ground cracked out. And for all those 5,000 people on the ground who believe in science and technology and human ingenuity, sphincters clenched as one because we all believed, had to believe in that moment in magic and that the force of human will would go and help save that pilot from disintegrating in space. And you'll see this on the video, but for about 30 seconds there, nobody breathed until he pulled out of that spin and made it down. So my meta answer to your question, Doc, is that I think that the human will is indomitable. And if we need to go and make our own life on other planets, that's what we're going to do. Maybe we'll have robots planning it, but maybe our species will no longer look like what we do. Maybe we'll, chop, we'll consider legs to be a... Uh, See, I'm more of an asteroid exploration. I think legs are kind of like a vermiform appendix. You know, you'll chop them off at birth if you're going to live in space. They're dangerous. Too much musculature. Waste too much oxygen. You don't need those. Um, so I'm, if, I, I, if I could go to sleep and wake up again in 50 years, yeah, our species may have changed being recognizable, but I think our fundamental humanity will be the same. Well, well. <laughs> I'm, I'm down to follow up on that and I'm not exactly sure how to do it I was going to talk about another speed test and y'all are all off talking about the future of humanity here <laughs> well, I could encourage people to play back what I just said while watching what happened at T plus 75 I still see that um, every time there and I still remember all the people not breathing <laughs> oh, I'm there Pivotal moment in the history of space flight. Okay, let me go back to buffer bloat. <laughs> so maybe this will give you a little a little hope for the future of humanity. There's yet another speed test that has a buffer bloat buffer bloat test built into it. That's fast.com. Have you seen this, Dave? Uh, if you hit the yes. advanced, it'll show you the loaded and unloaded latencies. Well, how are you doing today on your network? Are you still half speed test? Is half uh, Starlink half something else? So, no, yeah. I, we we can talk about that if you want to. I've actually got Starlink bolted onto the top of my minivan so that I can have decent internet in the middle of Kansas at 75 miles an hour. <laughs> well, by the way, you just ran that speed test, and I did see a bit of lag between your lips and what you were saying. So it's entirely no. possible you worked your connection a little bit. That's um, possible. Um, so when I when I ran it here on my connection, I did it while you and Doc were talking. And uh, I show six milliseconds unloaded, 11 milliseconds loaded, and then it tops out at 960 megabits per second. Again, though, I kind of cheat. I am, my router is an x86 box, and it runs the cake. Yeah, it's either cake or FQ Codel. Uh, last time you were on, you talked me into it, and so I got it set up. And I must say, it does help with the buffer load, load problem a lot. Oh, the big problem that I've really had is trying to get people to understand the statistics behind it. Um, I just worked really hard. There's a big company in the WISP market called Microtech, and they now mm -hmm. all have Cake and FQ Coddle available. And it became insanely popular on day one. It was a little buggy on day one. The thing was is that Microtech didn't give you any ability to see the statistics. And I like mm -hmm. to show people that, by the way, a packet drop once in a while really helps. Um, and... Uh, so if you could pull up the statistics on your router and show to me that you've actually had some fair queuing happening or whatever, the command is really simple, TC space minus S space Q disk show. Um, the other nice thing about Microtech is that pretty much all of it, their products, you can also reflash to OpenWRT. So if you're fed up 
with or you want to get a great uh, an older one of their products and keep maintaining it for a while. I know one company has got a couple thousand Microtech stuff. It's no longer supported by them. So they reflash everything with OpenWRT and they expect to, to keep those things running for years uh, from that day. So I'm glad you're using it. In day in and day out, you'll notice, you ever go to a coffee shop yet? Since, since COVID, have you been to a coffee shop? Yeah, a few times. Um, mm-hmm. Starbucks has FK Cotto and Cake too, but most other ones don't. So go run a fast.com test there and watch all of the ones' heads pop up from their laptops. <laughs> Sounds like a business opportunity. Go do that at uh, some little mom and pop chain and then say, hey, I could fix this for you. Yeah. <laughs> nice network you have there. Shame if something happened to it. <laughs> oh goodness goodness dave and i would get into way too much trouble if we ever got together in person i, I just i can tell <laughs> sounds so, like a good idea yeah yeah so, good and dangerous so yeah, what's good, so what's next what's that space i had two things i did want to talk about today that were really important that went by sure um, they're not exactly flaw- the three of them actually i want to stick on a FOSS topic um but I'm going to build into weirdly. Um, and Black Hat is really one of a really great conference. I didn't have a chance to go this year. Um, but two really marvelously weird and wonderful things came out of this this year's Black Hat. Uh, John Deere, uh, fi- someone finally managed to hack into their operating system. And guess sick what? codes. A friend of mine. <laughs> yeah? Well, you should have yeah. them on because, you know, there's, there's three different conflated things here. These bastards that control the food production and the tractors for everybody in the world have been stealing Linux, an ancient, obsolete, unpatched, buggy version of our stuff. They don't even have GPL policy. (sighs) I didn't get that out of my system. Um, And I'm really glad that they jailbroke it so people can get in there and fix it and add new features. And that's the narrative mm-hmm. that I'm trying to fight. Um, the other thing that came out in Black Hat was that someone finally cracked into Starlink. And uh, Starlink was very, officially, very welcoming of people that will mm-hmm. want to get in there and fix security bugs. But that's the narrative. You're allowed to break into our stuff so long as you are a responsible security thing there. And I want to add a feature, um, uh, two different features. Yeah, I want to... They have a GPS chip on the bloody thing. You have the, they have the ability to provide perfect time to all their subscribers, and they've never enabled that feature for the subscribers. And me, I want to fix their bloody queue management. There's no pathway for me to get in there aside from you know leveraging the security work that the people just did cracking it open to, to fix it for them. You know, I've got a history of... You know, ubiquity. We we reverse engineered enough of ubiquity to put smart cues. They called it FQ Cotto on that, and it became one of the most popular features. Uh, similarly, Microtech, uh, similarly, a bunch of other products. And since they won't listen to to us, I want to just do it. it. Let me in there, kids. I said that last time. So I want to escape the narrative that it's that it's. If you're in there helping us for to fix the security bugs, it's like, no, we're in there to help you make a better product, the one that's more suitable for the use cases that we have. And unless we can somehow get the right to repair and embed it into more um, law and technology, we're going to keep having stupid restrictions placed on us by manufacturers that want us to use. You know, you will only use our toothbrush with your right hand. And you must floss three times up and down, you know, that level of enforcement of, of things that we buy, uh, it somehow needs to change. So I, I, I do want to, I do want to warn you, if you want to break into your satellite dish, you need to, uh, you need to turn it off <laughs> because in fact, it may be too late. They, they had a, uh, uh, a security update that they were going to push that was going to blow one of the fuses internally and make that particular uh, that particular attack a lot harder to pull off. I don't I don't remember the details whether it was going to be entirely impossible or just yeah. make it way more difficult. Um, so here I, I, go, I, here, I go, here I go again with the language. Actually, I think it's still possible to glitch it, um, but the word okay. is an attack. 
You know, the word is open. The word is unlock. Sure. Um, just like we have jailbroken. I want a jailbroken Starlink terminal. Just like I have a jailbroken phone. Um, and so the command over the language being used in this particular discussion is bothersome to me. I want a jailbroken something. I want to unlock something. And um, hopefully we can win that that war of the memes on that front. So my other two things. So, like, go ahead. Yeah, so, uh, so Dave, you said you had three things to talk about. I want you to save the other two until okay. after I let Until after know. Right after that. But first I have to take this quick break to say this episode of Floss Weekly is brought to you by IRL, an original podcast from Mozilla. Uh, IRL is a show for people who build AI and people who develop uh, tech policies. It's hosted by Bridget Todd. And this season, IRL looks at AI in real life. Uh, who can AI help? Who can it harm? The show features fascinating conversations with people who are working to build more trustworthy AI. For example, there's an episode about how our world is mapped with AI. The data that's missing from those maps tells us as much of a story as the maps themselves. You'll hear all about the people who are working to fill those gaps and take control of the data. There's another episode about gig workers who depend on apps for their livelihood. Uh, that one looks at how they're pushing back against algorithms that control how much they get paid and seeking new ways to gain power over data, to create better working conditions. For political junkies, there are episodes about the role that AI plays when it comes to the spread of misinformation and hate speech around elections. It's a big concern for democracies around the world. Um, speaking personally, recently, <laughs> talking to somebody who just bought a, uh, a vacuum cleaner. I've actually repressed the name of the vacuum cleaner, except that, except that um, uh, Amazon just bought them and they don't want Amazon spying in their house. They wouldn't, they wouldn't get in other Amazon stuff. And now their vacuum cleaner might be narking on the dimensions of their house. So all those things are in play. And uh, there's a really great webcast for that. So search for IRL in your podcast player. We'll also include a link in the show notes. My thanks to IRL for their support. So, Dave, you you said before you uh, you had three topics you wanted to cover before the end of the show, which is about ten minutes away. Um, yeah, and uh, we we covered the the black hat thing with with Starlink, um, and uh, and and what that portends. Uh, what are the other two, or do you want to keep on that one for a little bit? No, unless unless you guys want to talk to that one some more. I've spent most of the last year trying to figure out ways of communicating better across the years and across the generations and geeks to lawyers and lawyers to geeks, dogs to cats, cats to dogs. Um, and what I've been working on mostly is trying to find a way of redirecting the $60 billion the government's going to be spending on improving the internet as part of the NTI broadband programs. And they, uh, among other things, Starlink had put in a bid to deliver 100 megabit, 20 megabit service uh, for, and they got a billion dollar grant for it which they just got pulled because they didn't quite weren't quite able to deliver 100 gigabit serve 100 megabit service and this is where like here's a whole bunch of money to go do something that really is not what's does a better job for the consumer uh, and I'm actually kind of glad that they didn't get the money maybe they'll focus on actual things that deliver stuff but the core thing that I wanted to talk about was this wonderful piece uh, about a fellow by the name of Jared Moosh, um, who if you go looking for him, uh, he just got $2.6 million grant to go drag out fiber to 600 homes in his community. He hit all the wonderful bells of community this, brilliant man, public spirited, very sharing, community networks, all the things that combat our relationship with certain <clears throat> large cable companies. And he got an unbelievably amazing amount of press. But nobody ran the numbers. So I just want to run the numbers real quick past your audience since nobody did. There's thousands upon thousands of comments on multiple blogs about this man's wonderful achievement. $2.6 million divided by 600 is about $4,300 per home to run out fiber. And, and no doubt that all those people's home values will improve. And uh, I'm glad the federal government can do that. And those people will get fiber, I think. 
fiber is a great thing. But if you then do the math and you say, well, I got $60 billion for another 640,000 people that could use fiber, you end up with a very different number. You end up with $2.6 trillion to run fiber at that kind of costs to 640,000 people. Um, that's not what's in the program. So the program itself is saying, well, okay, uh, here's all this money. Here's an, hey, we got a billion back from the government because we're not going to pay Starlink anything. And yet we can only run out fiber to 5% of all homes based on those kind of numbers. So I want people to think really hard um, that maybe if we focus on other metrics and in delivering better sewer service sooner, to all the people that won't be able to get fiber out of any government program for the next decade, um, that we might actually build a better network. And it's not just delivering Starlink to rural areas, but also all the uh, wireless ISPs that are using much cheaper technologies to give people better internet today. And that's kind of my, please do the math on what it would cost to do fiber everywhere and either subsidize it to the full extent required or consider other technologies that will be a better win for all of all of americans so that's kind of like a political plug do the math all right i'm done um the other one i wanted to bring up if i could and then we can go off on something else or you guys can comment on that one you just do the math with me you follow that part there's 2.3 trillion dollars um required to fiber everywhere kind of <sighs> I'm, I'm busy like you know tapping into uh, on the keyboard while listening and trying not to uh, divide my attention too much while i'm sure okay. you know production is doing oh. the same thing <laughs> just, just look at all the people cheering on jared for his work and 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 building a better network for his community i'm all in favor of that but it's a lot of money um to do it that way um, the other thing on, on my list was this thing called the Waddington effect, and it goes back to FOSS. Have you guys heard of that before? Yeah, we put an L in it, but it's, uh, yeah. <laughs> how about how about you, Jonathan? You know what the Waddington effect is? I, I would like to re-re-engage you. Oh, I see. I, I don't know what, I, I may know the effect, but not under that name. So uh, enlighten us. What is the Waddington effect? <laughs> <laughs> so in, in the free software community, we are big believers that everybody must have the most modern thing and we must continually update. We must continually whatever. And the John Deere case, for example, shows that you could build something good enough and have it last in the field for a really long time with relatively mm -hmm. zero problems. And the Waddington effect was noted in World War II as that if you had scheduled maintenance, if you kept saying, I'm going to update to kernel 2.6.69, and then next quarter, I'm going to update to the next one. You know, you have this peak of bugs that you get that gradually fade. And over time, if you stick with a stable release, if it's not broken, you don't need to fix it. You don't need to tear it apart. You don't need to make a major change. The only really huge reason you need to make a change is to uh, um, give a new feature. And after a while, you know, there aren't a whole lot of new features people really, really need. So I've been really reflecting on fossilized FOSS and that, you know, maybe we need to think about, like we have Linux kernel releases that are presently stable for two years and we have operating system releases that are stable for up to five years. And I look at how we've evolved airplane maintenance. There's a thing called RCM that fell out of the Waddington effect. And we are building airplanes that don't kill people. And maybe in terms of, building better software. We need to start thinking about terms of decades. What we are going to be building is going to be flying in space or wherever 50 years from now. And what does it take to, to build something that won't crash and won't kill people? And that's been kind of a philosophical change for me based on some of the recent work I did on fixing a bunch of regressions in the OpenWRT on Wi-Fi. Um, if we have that long-term perspective, a lot of our talk today is about time, you know, uh, late, what latency is required in order to know you've got something stable enough to ship in the space. Um, so th this is something I think about a lot too, and I'm, I'm going to uh, maybe put a different spin on this. So let's, the Waddington effect is about, among other things, uh, airplanes and how to avoid getting your, your airplane crews killed in war. So <laughs> airplanes had existed for how many years by the time that this was a thing? So 
the the Wright brothers were, you know, very early, like what, 1901, 1903, some, somewhere around there. Uh, 40 years went by and the airplane industry finally kind of discovered this. And we are now another 80 years past that. So we're, we're at what, 120 years, roughly 120 years of having working aircraft. And it, air travel is now at the point where it's, it's pretty safe, you know, statistically more safe than automobiles. We've had computers for, well, you could, you could make the argument that you've had computers for almost that long. But let's just say the Internet. You've had the Internet since... 1983, uh, you know, January 1st, 1983. So we've had the internet for under 40 years. It's still kind of a new technology. And uh, I think about that idea quite a bit, this idea of of when will it really become stable and mature? And uh, we've got some, (laughs) we've got quite a bit of time to keep working on it before we really get to the point to where we can say, okay, this is a stable industry. We've kind of have a a handle on this. Um, I guess all that to say computers and particularly putting computers on the internet where people can talk to them, uh, is, uh, is a, a pretty nascent thing. We're, we're still trying to figure out how that's supposed to work. And, you know, you, you look at, you look at bugs and, uh, even security vulnerabilities found in some of these ancient operating systems, uh, that are still being found today by the people that care to look for them. I don't, I don't think we're there yet. Uh, you know, I mean, there, there are guys that are finding exploits in, uh, NES games of all things. You know, there's this wonderful, uh, tool assisted speed run demo of someone taking a Super Nintendo game and finding an exploit where they can run arbitrary code by pushing buttons on an SNES controller. And, uh, you know, that it's the craziest thing, but we as humans we have not been writing source code for long enough to be able to do it right i don't know that we're ever going to be able to get to that point um but man i don't know i I think there's always going to be a need for being able to do updates because code is kind of always going to be broken in some way or another don't you think i'm deeply cynical um but i think that we are possibly (laughs) you know we are 30 odd years into uh the internet equivalent of the airplane development process. And so we can have some hope um, that in 15 years or so, we will have got something that's close to feature complete uh, and largely not buggy and largely not with a, with security holes. That'd be a great goal to have. So, you know, by 2036, if we've truly resolved the Y36K problem um, and we've got IPv6 deployed, and we've learned we've placed our more dangerous things with Rust. Um, and it may well be that we'll enter an age of where we can apply techniques such as RCM to how we develop and deploy network computers. Um, it's a good goal to aim for. It does take all a lot, not all, a lot of the fun and excitement out of out of networking. Um, but I would like a world that was safer in the future than it is today. And it's just maybe it's a golden dream in the sky, but I think we have a lot to learn from how uh, the airline industry evolved after the development of what's called RCM today. And if we could apply that to more of our software development processes formally, then we might, we might get there. Yep. We, we've mentioned the, uh, the the Y36, Y38 problem. Uh, at least one of those is the Unix time running out of uh, 32-bit room, isn't it? When a 32-bit yes. timestamp rolls around to zero. Which one is that, and what's the other problem? The other one's NTP. I forget. One of them's 36, ah, one's 38. Um, NTP go. runs out in one, one point. That's the one. I have a funny deal with Eric Raymond is the uh, – well, this is a shout-out for Eric. Eric is recovering from stomach cancer. He's doing well. Uh, he is uh, one of the uh, uh, maintainers of NTPSEC, which is a version of it. And he and I have a deal. I've rented a whole bunch of IPv4 addresses from him uh, until uh, NTT, NTP time rolls over. And we figure that uh, that resets everything. So we have our contract that terminates on the day that NTP's clock rolls over. So if civilization <laughs> doesn't collapse, he gets his IP addresses back. 
That <laughs> <laughs> is the ultimate in hedging your bets. <laughs> oh, that's great. I think she read a lot of contracts like that. Really, I was—I don't know about how scared about Y2K you were, but I spent a lot of time in that last year or two, really worried about it, working in a lot of places uh, for where it might have been a problem. Um, so worry about that now and build yourself a bunker, <laughs> sailboat, whatever. Um, but we have worried about that sufficiently, and I'm hoping that. By then, everything important that will roll over will roll over properly. Well, guys, I hate to tell you, we are, in fact, out of time um, or close enough that I have to just ask you the final. um, We've already done the thing where we ask you, you know, what have we talked about? You actually numbered them. I got a new answer to what editor do I I use, though? Oh, good. That's that's the answer. That's the question. What's your what's your scripting language today and your text editor today? What, um, the which, answer to the second, I've gone back to pencil and paper. It's really <laughs> focusing. You know, it has this thing on the other side called an eraser, and uh, it works without <laughs> power. Uh, it's tremendously useful in all cases, and, uh, and it doesn't cost anything, really, to use. <laughs> um, so that's my first answer. And in terms of scripting language, you know, to your audience, um, I'm an old fart, and I am trying desperately to find one or two languages that I can be fiercely productive in and safer and forward-looking. Um, I recently tried Rust. It's not a scripting language at all. And um, I'm just not into that much BDSM. I'm sure that it must be uh, but I would like to be able to quickly express various ideas as something better than a shell script. So if there's anyone in the audience that can say, aha, I've got something better than Perl without the indentations to Python. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for all the suggestions, everybody. Um, Go, by the way, for my opinion, I, I looked at Go recently and uh, the generic support looked very promising. Um, and I, I I have a native affinity for that particular kind of language, so I'm leaning that way. As much as people are trying to get trying to get me to go into the rusty world, thanks for your suggestions. <laughs> the rusty world, the post rusty world. Oh my gosh, then maybe yes. maybe that's the, the name for the show. So Dave, thanks so much for um, joining us on your boat. There, uh, I'd like to raise the flask to you too. To, He's drinking the last of his coffee there, straining it through his bigger beard. <laughs> anyway, three guys with face hair. <laughs> For those of you that who could see. I would really, so thanks again, I Dave. Thank you. I yeah, I say we'll have you back in another six months when the future, uh, will, a lot of the future has gone by. Thank and maybe you. some of the I really would love, love it so much if you could have Len Kleinrock on. Um, no, we want to. Be- we want to. You could help us with that. Yeah, that'd be great. He'd be great. So, all right. Thanks for having me again. And I'll gladly stick around for the post, whatever you call it. <laughs> okay. So Jonathan, rock and roll show, huh? <laughs> oh yeah. Dave's, Dave is always fun to talk to. Uh, he just, just a blast. Um, we kind of covered everything, didn't we? Uh, from buffer bloat to post humanity to <laughs> what yeah, comes next I, for software development, just all over the place. Space, time, latency, and everything—the <laughs> the, the horizon and and the ordinary stuff you need in order to make the world work, like maybe a pencil and paper. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. yeah I, absolutely. I like, some, some. Go ahead. You go ahead. I was just going to say some fun, some fun stuff there. Some some very forward, future-looking stuff that you know maybe isn't as far beyond the horizon as we think, and uh, some very practical stuff for today. I like it. And uh, uh, so I have to let everybody know that uh, Pete Kaminsky, uh, an old friend um, and jack of many, many, many trades, um, will be back next week. And we're going to break Jonathan's three straight weeks of co-hosting record. <laughs> I think <laughs> with that, <laughs> I, I think maybe Sean Powers is going to guess that one. I don't, I'm not, not even sure. Anyway, uh, we're going to have Pete on next week uh, from his lair. I think he's in San Diego, but uh, I know him mostly from the internet. And uh, but it's been a great show. 
It's a great show. Yeah. Can I, can I plug something real quick? Oh, please. I was, I, I jumped to the next week because I'm always afraid of missing it and jumped over your, that's all right. Your, your, your plugs. All plug right. So away. rather, rather than my normal plugs, I've got a buddy that uh, needs employment and uh, he is, he's good with the Linux kernel. He's been doing Android work. He's a C, C developer. He really gets open source. And, uh, you know, he's, he's looking for some kind of employment or contracting. And uh, he's getting a little desperate. So somebody wants a really competent C, C++ programmer that understands the kernel. Uh, hit me up on uh, maybe on Twitter, JP underscore Bennett or uh, through the show. But let me know he is looking for something. And that's what I'm going to plug this week. Oh, that's great. Good thing. I'd like to hear next week whether that's something oh, you won't be on next week. But we'll like to hear anyway. <laughs> maybe in the uh, on your weekend Linux show, if you can tell us what happened with the, with your pal there. So thanks, everybody. Um, Back next week with Pete Kaminsky and uh, as the guest, and we will see you then. The world is changing rapidly, so rapidly, in fact, that it's hard to keep up. That's why Micah Sargent and I, Jason Howell, talk with the people making and breaking the tech news on Tech News Weekly every Thursday. They know these stories better than anyone, so why not get them to talk about it in their own words? Subscribe to Tech News Weekly, and you won't miss a beat every Thursday at twit.tv.